and welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, uh, our co-host, Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you this evening? I'm doing splendid, Parker. Uh, it's great to be back on the microphones with you, and it's great to have yet another uh, esteemed guest on the Purple Theory Podcast. If, if I may say, be so bold, uh, this, this spring lineup is shaping up really, really nicely. Uh, y'all all probably heard uh, Alex Kirshner come on and talk about big picture stuff in the Big 12 with NIL and... Uh, college football landscape and transfers and everything. And uh, today we've got another great guest coming on. We've got uh, Clark Brooks, the SEC stat cat himself uh, here live and in person. Uh, Clark, thanks for coming on, man. Grant Parker. Thank you for having me. Um, We wanted to bring you on uh, because one, I think you might be one of the craziest people in college football. And I'm going to, I'm going to clarify that because the sheer amount of work you do on a weekly basis is exhausting. Not, not, not just doing the work. I'm saying me, me thinking about how much work you're doing is, is exhausting. So um, for, for listeners who aren't familiar, tell us uh, about SEC StatCat, your website, what you do, how you get your data, and all that. So basically, I started this crusade. This will be my fourth season, third season public, where I'm actually having like, the website like promoting it and all that type of stuff. So basically, um, anybody can rip stats from a database and post it anywhere. Um, but buddy ripping stats and posting them is my middle name. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I I tried to give you a little rib there, but no, I'm actually doing a little bit more of the nuanced stuff. So what people are actually calling. So, um, play call trends. So whether it be pre-snap motion, use jet motion, orbit motion, whether it be trips, whether it be 11 personnel, two tight end sets, whether it be, um, play action, whether it be power cross, whether it be tight end leak plays, whether it be Y inserts inside zone read with bubble screens, you name it. I'm keeping track of whatever um, play call is basically being called throughout the conference and how that translates to wins and losses. And of course, taking advantage of all the individual stats, like for quarterbacks, taking advantage of accuracy and actually providing more context into their result-based things. So as opposed to just first down touchdown rate, EPA, which are a lot more, and success rate, which are a lot more team-based things, you can actually see how the quarterback is providing in context of that. Where is his balls going? How often is he throwing a risky pass, interceptable pass rates, turnover-worthy plays, things like this that are not necessarily reflected into the box score. So, yeah, it's meticulously charting every snap, logging it, and, of course, presenting it in a way where people can read it and understand it week to week, where they can possibly – be influenced on you know looking at the line if it's minus four oh gosh uh, it was minus three and a half i don't know which way to bet well the set says this i'm gonna you know go with my gut this way so it's just a little bit more uh providing a little bit more um i guess intuition for our guts to bet on saturdays uh so that's the long story of it i should say and you and so you watch every sec game every week and chart it yes how long does that every take offensive you snap um i start on noon on saturday so i do at least one live chart a week um so that usually takes about three and a half hours to chart one side of the ball so generally until well this past season since we had a kind of a reduced games i was able to be done by tuesday evening but usually it's by wednesday night um charting basically from the moment i get up to like midnight every day because so, it just takes that much time to log, especially these jabronis that like like to run a lot of plays, at ninety snaps and whatnot. So uh, I don't get to. Uh, I'll be. I'm. Let's put it this way. I'm very glad Gus Malzahn is out of the conference. Let's just put it that way. A lot of. What, what kind want, of? 
I don't like wasted snaps and all that type of stuff. It's no good to me. I like efficient scoring offenses for a reason. Besides the fact that it produces a good result, it's less work for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of on that note, and I'm just curious, and, and what's one team that you enjoy watching the most? And what's one that tends to overperform when you look at, okay, hey, the spread's four, it's three and a half, which way do I lean? Is there one, is there a team that stands out on either of those metrics? I mean, Ole Miss jumped out to me before. I, I was kind of skeptical on the uh, Lane Kiffin effect from the get-go um, last year. Um, not that I had any doubts with Matt Corral, but he was a little bit more turnover-prone. Of course, he had two big blow-up games. But outside of that, his interceptable pass rate, I think, was under like 1%. It was crazy how good he was in the other games. Um, it was just those two blow-ups. So I was really um, surprised as how he took them from basically one of the worst passing offenses to just behind Florida and Alabama for the most part. So I was really taken aback by them. They really uh, overperformed. And, of course, their defense was actually mediocre last year. Of course, it fell off a cliff. I mean, yeah. I at least, yeah, not I least hope them to hold their own. So, like, that surprised me on just the other fronts. Um, uh, as opposed to uh, Missouri, I was actually kind of surprised. I think they overperformed last year. Um, I think the preseason SP Plus – actually had them in the triple digits, especially in offense. I know for sure um, them and Vanderbilt, I think, were the only – oh, and I think Arkansas – were the only three SEC offenses in the triple digits for SC+. But they ended up being fairly average. Of course, they had um, a blossoming um, Connor Bayslack at quarterback come around, um, even though the run game kind of, you know, was whatever. They were able to get enough explosive gains and, you know – maintain methodical drives with the remnants of um, Barry Odom's defense where they were able to snatch some victories and win above expectations. So I would say Ole Miss and Missouri definitely jump out in, in that regards to me, just because um, how the new coaches, they brought in a new aspect with an atypical offseason. I think they were able to get a little bit of a competitive advantage with the talent that they had on the rosters, because at the end of the day, look, they had players to uh, make it work. Yeah. See, this is how I know you're an insane man is that you're jacked up about Ole Miss and Missouri. So it, <laughs> this checks out. The Ole Miss offense is fun as hell, but I, I'll it say is, Connor, Connor Basilak, uh 30th in, uh, in overall uh, passing success rate and 33rd in total EPA among quarterbacks who qualified last year. So that's probably a little bit different Clark. I know I have weird garbage time filters and all that, but um, on, on numbers and everything, but yeah, I mean, Basilak was like decent. Um, also I have to say this anytime Missouri comes up organically, Sean Robinson played defense for Missouri last year and I saw that pass. I saw uh, that. that it, right? it was insane. Yeah. So yeah, he went from starting week one to intercepting a pass in the bowl game. So yeah, he has a really interesting, uh, career, career trajectory going from, you know, TCU to Missouri and all that. But yeah. Um, if he, I think he's going to be slated to start next year, if I'm not mistaken. At quarterback or defensive back? Defensive back. Golly. Wow. That's the, the, uh, the Joel Lanning experience. Uh, yeah. Remember the old Iowa State uh, quarterback turned linebacker? Parker's giving me a look of confusion. You don't remember Joel Lanning? No, I was asking, wasn't that the other way around? I don't think so. No, because then Kyle Kemp took over. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. He like played quarterback again, but it was like a desperate situation. It was like, dude, we just need someone to, we need a warm body back there. This is so far down the rabbit hole of Big 12 randomness. I will say Kyle <laughs> I, Kemp. I did not expect super, to get to Joel Landing that quick. But Kyle yeah. Kemp is a super nice guy. Um, okay, well, Clark, I just I just want to pick your brain about a ton of stuff and talk about some football stuff. We should probably talk about NFL quarterbacks. 
because it's the draft and uh, you, you wrote an article pretty recently at football outsiders looking at some of those guys. Um, did I say that? I don't know if I said that at the beginning of the uh, podcast, we are um, uh, technically colleagues at this point, both contributing to football outsiders, yes. which is fun. And uh, yeah, but before we get to that, though, I just we have to talk about FPI. You're a person who knows about metrics and has some opinions. And ESPN's FPI came out this week and there were some interesting. I mean, it's easy at the top, right? Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State. They're all going to be good. Like, that's fine. I'm, I'm intellectually OK with that. There's a couple SEC teams in here that are a little weird. And um, before I ask you about them, I'm just going to go on my little soliloquy about like, FPI goes into the strength of record calculation and the strength of record calculation pretty much uh, forces the uh, committee's hand on picking college football playoff teams. uh, Unless it's, you know, Cincinnati is ranked super high and they move them down or uh, TCU is super high and they move them down. But um, so, so FPI is important because it does affect college football in, in terms of who goes to the playoffs. So, um, the, the SEC teams, you've got, you know, Alabama's one, A&M is six, Georgia's seven, Mississippi State is number eight, Florida is number uh, 14, excuse me, and Auburn is number 16, LSU number 18. So uh, we have to start with Mississippi State being in the top 10. What, uh, why in the world would anyone think that Mississippi State would be in the top 10 heading into the 2021 season? Um, the one thing that I would guess is they think that the defense is going to continue to improve a defense that lived or died on creating turnovers, that three, three, five defense is highly aggressive. And I would think it would have to be returning freshman production on offense. So it's Wally at the slot. It's the Jolly Rogers for the pass happy pirate behind center. And um, it's a decent amount of other pass catchers that are coming up through the ranks because everyone else is basically going to be gone. And it's going to be that second season of the air raid. And I think that's going to be a big jump year to year progression. That's the only thing I can think of because looking off of last year's numbers, it was a methodical volume-based offense that lacked explosive plays that threw a lot of passes to defensive backs and was not necessarily um, threatening by any shape of the imaginations outside of its week one performance. Which yeah, I was so, going to say, maybe maybe Mississippi State is playing LSU every game this year. Have we considered that? I have not have looked at the schedule? schedule. Yeah, I have not looked I at the schedule. Yeah, so I just, I'm just saying, you don't know. You don't know. You know? Well, Mississippi State was 111th in EPA per play last year, um, which, uh, Grant, you know what we say about returning production. It doesn't matter if you're returning production, if returning production is bad. Um, yes. Let, let me pose a hypothetical bet because, okay, Jack Abraham is transferring from Southern Myths, um, which good for him for getting the hell out of Hattiesburg, although Starkville is not exactly a, 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 a good consolation prize there. Um, but you could say, okay, returning experience quarterback. Uh, it, what amount of money would you give, uh, would you put on Jack Abraham not leading a top 10 team in college football next year? Yeah. Mm. I would, I would put a lot of money that they don't crack like, the top ten. There's no world where I look at Jack Abraham, even even in a Mike Leach offense, and say, "Oh, he's he's going to be half of what Anthony Gordon was." The only thing that gives me pause is if like they start like three and zero, and they get that like early preseason little buzz, so they like are ten or nine, and then like you know they get smacked in the face in the middle of the conference. That's the only thing I would give pause. But by the end of the season, they top ten. Hell no. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Hell no. Yeah, it, it 
that list always kind of makes me laugh because it, it is, like you said, I'm sure based on, you know, freshman returning production, all that. But I, as the non-stats guy on this podcast uh, and as a guy who uh, for some reason relies on the eye test, Mississippi State ain't going to be in the top 25 by the end of the year next year. And it's, it's, it just always bothers me when those rankings come out, but I don't know. That's- yeah, I just, that was just kind of bewildering. The other one that caught my eye, Clark, that I want to get your opinion on, because, you know, George is going to be up there. That's fine. Florida yeah. without Kyle Trask, but their backup is evidently pretty, pretty good. Like Florida's just. Emmer Jones, so much, yeah. But Emmer so Jones is good. Auburn he, at 16. Uh, are you buying or selling that? Are. That's typically where they are. But um, yeah, they'll go like, you know, eight and four, something like that, seven and five. And that's basically where they'll end up. They might be, you know, 22nd, 25th in that range, but like that's okay. I mean, they do have talent, um, especially that run game. And Brian Harrison with Mike Bobo, it seems they're going to go with that way. I mean, look, Mike Bobo, bless his heart, um, he's still trying to hang on to the old I formation as we're trying to get everyone else to the spread. So run the dang ball, Bobo. You got to let them know you're in the ballpark, in the words of Mike Bobo. <laughs> so um, 8% of their plays and 12% of South Carolina's yards came from the I formation last year. It was by far and away the best in the conference. You know what? The rushing success rate was like in the 70s. So, hey, it's working. So um, with Tank Williams, and um, they, even though they moved Jay Peguis to the defensive side of the ball, they're going to do a little bit more pro-based stuff. As we all know, Gus Malzahn brought the RPO game basically to the SEC. Everyone basically caught up and then passed him. He's then, you know, worthless and, you know, toothless. So he's now at US, UCF, I should say. So um, Brian Harrison, yeah, he's going to be an injection to old school SEC football. And I think Mike Bobo and him are going to have a nice pairing behind that run game. Because, look, I wrote an article about a month ago that was um, – Related to the one I wrote for Football Outsiders about passing floors, Bo Nix presents to have the worst in the conference. That's not good. So um, even though us analytics people or we analytics people want to say pass early on, you know, um, set it downs because it's a better rate of success. Well, uh, maybe not so much for them just because he is so bad. Ex- explain that to me um you say passing floor there if, if uh yes. yeah to explain that to us and the listeners i suppose um who may not have heard of that what is passing floor so passing floor so of course every quarterback has different styles of plays you know um some offenses might fancy rpos or screens or play action passes a little bit more or a quarterback might be a little bit more apt at playing backer ball of course with draft season everyone's just so enamored with all these off-balance throws and all these crazy cross-court you know um post patterns and all that type of stuff just to see raw uh, arm talent well passing floors is basically just setting all else equal so there's no excuses absolutely setting um no pressure no play action um no screens no rpos how good are you from clean drop back past situation so um, I like to say if you're not good when everything else is perfect how good can you actually be so it's just a bare minimum passing floor how much can we expect down to down because after all unpressured um, pockets are a lot more um, rare than pure pocket passers so or pure pockets 25 percent is the average uh, pressure rate the last few years in the SEC last time I checked uh, 75% is more than 25%. So yeah, it's just a little bit more down to down. How good is this type of guy? So um, 
when you have a good floor, a high floor, that's great because when you have a good ceiling, when you do all the ex- extra stuff extra, you know, it brings the value, the, uh, the value to your passing even, uh, you know, it balloons it a little bit. So yeah. it's just, you know, if you cannot take advantage of those clean situations when there's absolutely nothing going wrong, no one in your face, no one's slipping, you know, you're on time, you're in rhythm. Well, that's going to be a problem if you can't take advantage of that. Okay. So Clark, you opened up like five different questions that I want to ask there, but okay, okay. I want to talk a little bit about, um, uh, and allow me to be mainstream sports radio guy here for a minute. Uh, let's talk Mac Jones heading into the NFL draft, but I'm curious where he, he nets out first off in that metric uh, that you just mentioned in terms of passing floor. And second off, I'm curious if you have any stats that can negate talent around a quarterback, because obviously Mac had one of the best wide receiver cores in history while he was there and, and sort of how he rates on that as well in your evaluations. Well, one stat that I do like to pull up, like, you know, that besides the passing floor. So his result based metrics against his four hardest opponents this last season were insane. Like his adjusted completion percentage was like 88%. His um, success rate was like 66 or something percent. It was like insane. But when you looked at his accuracy, well, his raw accuracy was in the thirties by my count and his depth adjusted accuracy was like 29%. So that leads to question. When that type of element gets accentuated at the next level and the bullets are even faster, how will your accuracy stand up? Um, of course, um, like I said, his pocket metrics, fairly good, but that's the one thing I will say from the onset. But like, Parker, yeah, I see you want to get I want to just yes. – uh, cause I'm, I'm so bad at uh, doing like first principles and saying like, this is what these things mean. Oh yeah. Tell us, tell us about the difference. How are you defining accuracy? How do you chart accuracy? And then how do you calculate depth adjusted accuracy? Cause those are very cool. Like we've talked about how you do that, but, but let's get that on, on paper. Yeah. For, okay. for the record, Clark, this is what Parker and I term explain it to an idiot. Uh, I'm the <laughs> idiot. So you're guest hosting here. Explain it to an idiot. If you don't mind. Oh, sure. Okay. Idiot. So um, every ball placement metric, everybody seems to have a different, um, criteria for what they deem accurate on target what have you for me accurate is where the receiver does not have to make any extra adjustment so if they're running a lateral route they don't have to turn behind the ball they don't have to dip behind them they don't have to overextend if it's in their normal catch radius while they're moving it's fine on a vertical route they do not have to slow down or make any type of adjustment they don't have to high point the ball they don't have to um, back shoulder fades a different, you know, if it's a well-timed back shoulder fade, good thing. If it's, it's, you know, a beat before, not so much. So it has a lot to do with nuance and timing, ball placement relative to the um, defensive back or linebacker. Of course, if it's um, a touch pass, you might be able to get away with a little bit more, I would say, ball placement, um, you know, nuance as opposed to other things. But yeah, and depth adjusted. So like completion percentage accuracy percentage is just a yes no thing was it accurate yes was it caught yes was it caught no was it accurate no but depth adjusted it applies more weight further past the further the pass travels beyond the line of scrimmage so everything behind the line of scrimmage is omitted those don't count who cares if you're accurate on you know something behind the line of scrimmage that might as well just be a lateral who cares you're not going to be a good um, NFL quarterback if you're just good at that so um 
it applies more risk reward how it goes so if you're really good at the deep balls you're gonna shine if you're really bad at the deep balls you're gonna look fairly bad and that's why jt daniels is not looking so good in my metrics because he was not particularly a great deep ball passer even though the epa guys are saying hey this guy's one of the best returning quarterbacks but you know what my metrics say hey he's he's fairly lucky and how the results turned out because you know his guys are winning jump balls downfield and they're starting ball games that way and of course it's over a four game sample size so again small volatile style of play hold your horses but um so but it does help quarterbacks differentiate themselves of course like from um someone like will rogers at mississippi state fairly good accuracy numbers i actually tweeted out a few weeks ago i think he has the top accuracy percentage of the returning quarterbacks in the sec but you know what when uh, you apply his downfield throws because of his noodle arm he's not so good and he's near the bottom with bo nicks and jt daniels so um that has to be um definitely one of my favorite tools to help differentiate which quarterbacks are actually really good downfield throwers and which ones pad with short rpos and underneath passes okay i have a follow-up on that too which might be a question i know grant wanted to ask but so obviously there's a selection issue, right? Better quarterbacks are going to be doing that long field, that, that downfield pass more often because they're going to one feel more comfortable or, or in a better situation. Um, or sometimes it, people are really good at the intermediate and they're, you know, it's not necessarily just the deep balls. It's right, just the way. Right. So we just don't see those four yard, five yard hitch routes really, you know, flood and skew someone's output. Okay. Okay, and so it kind of comes out of the wash because you weighed it and then it comes out of the wash with with frequency. But how much stock do you put? And I think this probably reframes uh, our, our conversation about quarterbacks. How are you kind of accounting for surrounding talent and context in evaluating a quarterback? Somebody like Kyle Trask um, or, or, or Mac Jones, who are, who are largely two sides of the same coin with, um, man, I, I could probably throw for a couple touchdowns in either of those offenses and uh, I have a very bad arm. And so uh, how do you kind of account for those when we, evaluate them kind of project them going forward beyond just kind of the descriptive uh metrics well one thing that i chart and track but i don't reflect on the site which is kind of a pain in the butt is called created receptions so this is where like a receiver goes above and beyond um and and basically bails out the quarterback well mac jones on his deep balls especially when jalen waddle was around the first few weeks Yes, he had a lot of additional deep yardage because of those receivers' ability to win and create. So even though it doesn't reflect on the site right now, I do know off top because I've written a lot and I've you know I've studied their past charts and their results that that is one thing that absolutely yes, um, that is something that can be reflected by things that I chart. It's like just yeah, if you take away the those elements of you know creating a. 36 yards post route that's, you know, double covered and you're going up and beyond between two receivers. I think Dave Orlowski actually tweeted it out the other day. It was a, a deep dagger connection with Mac Jones to Jalen Waddle, where Waddle basically high pointed and cut between two receivers. The average receiver should not be expected to make that catch. Right. right. So again, you, you just keep track of that type of stuff. And for like um, Trask, of course, you keep track of contested passes, 50, 50 balls. And they're, you know, prevalency to throw those types of balls and of course putting them into harm's way in his case yeah that, that that makes sense and that's that's where it's hard and honestly i think that's as as work intensive as it is uh i think like your approach of hey i'm gonna watch every snap of every person is is less prone to something like uh pff being biased 
because you're kind of consistently applying as opposed to a bunch of different people trying to aggregate those, hey, was this an exceptional catch or not? And there's some measurement error in there. You're able to kind of say consistently, no, if it happens here, I'm going to call it the exact same way uh, on another play as well, which kind of standardizes some of those. Correct. And uh, look, I'll be honest, like it's tough sometimes. Like the, the there is a lot of nuance to be saying, oh, is this a created catch or is this just, you know, a, a fairly decent off-balance reception? So, yeah, there, there's a lot of, you know, battling I do sometimes. Like, you know, like I said, I chart a game in about three and a half hours. Well, sometimes when I see a play like that, that can take a good 10 minutes just rewinding and watching it and just really trying to get it right and trying to reflect a good amount of accuracy because at the end of the day, I'm really only as good as the data I chart reflects. So I have to make sure I get it as right as I can. And to you said, you know, um, make sure it is correct there. Can I, uh, can I ask you to do one of my favorite things since we're kind of on this topic in terms of quarterbacks that may not be as good as they look on tape. Uh, can we dunk on Texas A&M for a minute? Because we were talking before the pod uh, about Kellen Mond and his uh, inability to um, be a good quarterback. And that was something that I kind of enjoyed during the season was Texas A&M fans um, in one hand saying we deserve to be in the playoff and the other hand saying Kellen Mond stinks. <laughs> Uh, at least they recognize it. That's my dog, Max Dog, and barking in the background there. Um, but can you kind of extrapolate on like what you saw from Mond and AM and how that offense, I believe you said, wasn't explosive, right? No. Um, I'm going to read directly from my article because it succinctly puts this perfectly. So the past two seasons, Mond has recorded a yards per attempt, completion percentage, first down rate, and explosive pass rate below the SEC average. He has a career losing record against ranked teams, and his um, quarterback basically um, accuracy numbers, I don't think it's ever necessarily broken the top five of the conference. So um, that's fairly concerning. Um, in addition to the methodical, muted, boring style of play, the lack of explosive plays, it's not necessarily like he's been able to pad these short, you know, completion numbers, these accuracy numbers because of his inability to be pinpoint precise executing that West coast style offense that Jimbo has basically been leaning on so um his one good trait is he does have good zip on the ball and he is well um let's say experienced attacking tight windows contested windows so that's why i think a lot of pro scouts like him in, in addition to his mobility of course that's you know one of the traits that's really helping people um jump up draft boards the last few years but um yeah it's just Whenever he is on the move, though, his accuracy is already iffy accuracy gets even worse. So I just have a lot of time. I have a lot of hesitance getting behind him, even though he did have one good pop at the senior bowl. Of course, he had five, I think, 20 plus yard um, completions. And he only had 26, I think, this past season total at AM, either 24, 26, something like that. So not a lot. So, yeah. So it's a lot of people thinking, oh, it was just the offense that's slowing him down. So. Um, that might be the case, but three years as a starter and each year his, you know, explosivity has gone down, even though his completion percentage has gone up at the same time, his interceptable pass rate has also increased because of his prevalence to test tight windows. So um, it's just because his result-based stuff is just so muted. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, he was not able to elevate the guys around him that I have a lot of pause. Um, the first, the first round talk, I don't put any weight into that, even though Tim Tebow went first round, I shouldn't say that, but <laughs> you know, 
Um, there are just some quarterbacks where I'll draw the line. Um, I think maybe mid to mid second round to late third round is an appropriate range for him. It's just the question of how enamored can a team fall in love with him? Because I think he's definitely a project guy. He's going to definitely have to sit for a minute. He's going to have to improve his precision. Um, in the, in the article, you will notice if you look at his pass chart, he has what I call a death spot. Okay. And it's where he's basically um, completed only like 20, 19% of his passes. And it's um, about 10 yards to 19 yards outside the numbers to the left. He's just terrible um, completing there. And of course, that is a major spot, the turkey hole, a lot of two, mm-hmm. you know, cover two spots that you have to be able to make that throw at the next level. So um, if zip intermediate, you know, completion is the way to go with if you're trying to sell him and that's what on his resume that gives me a lot of pause moving forward even though he has that mobility that people are looking for interesting i love it um that coming i love it yeah but clark he made that really long throw at this pro day video and he made this really i mean look he had the best throw of 2019 in my opinion and it happened against a poop state opponent but it was one of the best opponent so like he he does this reverse pivot around the left and he throws kind of like a, this um fade to osmond and osmond comes down with it like near the end zone and tip toe tip taps and it's just a perfectly placed ball he also had another one that was dropped i think later in that game but like yeah um outside of those he's just been so wayward and inconsistent that like he'll flash um you know He'll show you that dazzling arm strength fitting into a tight window. And then another time he'll just sail it and miss a guy completely. So um, a fairly frustrating um, passing project because he does not like to throw deep balls. He's, he loves the intermediate stuff, you know, 15 yards, 18 yards in, but not so much the 20 yard, um, 20 yards, even though like he showed his pro day, he has the arm strength. It's just for whatever reason, Jimbo just not did not let him, test defense that much the last two seasons so um that gives me pause i don't know if he was just you know protecting him or if it was just his own personal preference but i guess we'll see moving forward yeah yeah awesome and and i i love that so much because even if you're listening to this podcast and you don't care about kellen mond and you just just like dunking on aggie that's a cool little applied exercise right there and like how to look at and think about a quarterback which is uh something clark does really well with his stats um, Clark, I want to move uh, a little bit west, um, and uh, and I want to talk about Austin, Texas, and I want to talk about the Big Twelve. So Steve Sarkeesian uh, coming over from Alabama after putting together uh, arguably one of the best uh, offensive performances of all time, um, and 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 just you know being a hot name, everybody's sharing that clinic where he's talking about their wave RPO and their double posts and. Everybody's saying, look, he's got, he's got an offensive line. He's got Bijan Robinson, who's going to be the next Najee Harris. Um, tell me about Sark and, and moving to Texas and what you think he'll bring over. What do you think will translate? What do you think uh, might not translate to the Big 12? What I hope he brings over is his motion. So um, year over year, I mean, it was definitely a, a, a decent increase from when he took over from Loxley or, you know, he regained the, the range, I should say, returning to Alabama. So a pretty decent increase in terms of pre-snap motion, jet motion, orbit motion, and shifts. So four different types of motion types. So um, pre-snap motion is before the ball is snapped. Of course, that's one where one guy moves from one side of the center to the other or shifts back in or whatever. He settles. 
Jet motion is where the receiver comes flat across the quarterback's face and he's still moving at the snap. Same thing for orbit motion, but he's going around the backfield in this looping motion. And of course, shifts are where guys, you know, realign and whatnot. So um, every single one of those saw massive year over year increases. And in this past season, no, uh, they were the poster child for motion in the SEC. Basically, 33% of their snaps used pre snap motion. Um, a seventh of them used jet motion, a tenth of them used orbit motion, and no one used more shifts. So, yeah, they really liked to disorient, to get the defense tipped, and, you know, um, basically tell the quarterback before the ball snapped, okay, they're in single high because they rotated down. Because of that, I know my key. I'm going to get the ball out. And that's one of these things with the glance posts and all that type of stuff with their power RPO game. That's where it comes into um, a very nice tactic that I think a lot of teams are going to try and stop and copycat. Um, but I think that is one element I absolutely think he should implement at Texas because um, if they have the talent they think they do, if they have a decent amount of team speed, of course, no, I don't think anybody's going to be able to match what Waddle and Smith were able to bring to the table last year. Um, but if it's even close to that and they're able to tip um, Big 12 defenses before the snap, I think Sark is going to be able to definitely get Texas rolling pretty damn quick. It's just a matter of can the defense follow suit. So I definitely think it's going to be the power RPO game meshed with that increased motion. Of course, pre-snap, jet, orbit, and shifts. Yeah, in addition to that motion, the one thing I, I kind of noticed, um, I have not watched nearly as much film as you, but uh, one thing I did like about Alabama under Sark at, at OC was the way they used uh, running backs in the passing game with Najee Harris. Um, Texas had a lot of opportunities to shred TCU last year uh, with running backs winning uh, wheel routes, which Gary Patterson seems to not know exist. Um, so is there a, a way that Sark uses running backs kind of in the passing game that, that maybe I could, I don't know, send a DM to Gary and say, Hey, look out for this because uh, with, with B. John Robinson back there for the Longhorns, uh, I'm, I'm worried. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. I mean, this also hits on one of the trends that I like that he instituted, which is using receive uh, running backs as receivers beyond just flat routes, swings and screens, like actually using them in the pass game. So, um, on, it, on the face, we all know running backs present to be less valuable than throwing to outside receivers or inside receivers just because they generally catch the ball behind the line of scrimmage, and that degree of difficulty is much, much harder than if you catch something you know further downfield. So if you take those out and you actually look at things like what Alabama likes to do with their Y-leak um, um, running back wheel combos with their running back scissors, with their running back meshes, with their um, – uh, floods and what have you, it's a lot more diverse. It's a lot more downfield. It's a lot more potent. So um, getting them involved in more ways than uh, just being basically tertiary receivers or safety valves provides basically better value than outside receivers is what I found this past season. So um, Sark absolutely is on the forefront of getting running backs involved in that way. So it's even if you're just looking at like something like a Texas concept, tried and true little angle route over the middle, that only basically produces like a um, 35% success rate as opposed to something like Alabama's um, scissors and floods, which is much more in the mid forties, which is where um, the average passer generally finds himself in terms of success, uh, in terms of success rate. So um, of course it comes down to timing, but of course the design and how running backs are utilized is definitely something that uh, 
I think is going to be another copied trend moving forward in addition to that motion. I think I'll let you really, ask a question. Oh. I do want to point out. I, I just, I'll let you ask a question. I do want to point out the Texas route is by far the, uh, the best play at Madden. If you're looking to gain eight quick yards, you run a little halfback angle. But, oh, especially uh, if you get them in cover one, that middle your linebacker deck, has no I'm right. Let me tell you, yeah. it, it, they got no shot. Um, uh, I only play NCAA 2003 on my PlayStation 2. So um, the, the, I think that the running back is so interesting to me because it's not like running backs in the Big 12 in the passing game is a new thing, right? Like Deuce Vaughn this last year, for instance, Kansas State yeah. did a great job of lining him up and just, just ruining a, like a middle linebacker who has no business covering him getting in one-on-one with Deuce Vaughn is like four of Deuce Vaughn's touchdowns last year. Um, one of them against Texas Tech, you literally see a defensive end look around and go, uh, what's going to happen? And then he scores a touchdown because the defensive ends lined up one-on-one. So that to me is interesting because I think the motion, you know, a, a lot of the Big 12 has turned into kind of a, a little bit more of a defensive chess game saying, hey, we're going to align with personnel. We're going to bring in 21 personnel. And it's not just going to be so much about these one-on-one matchups as it is getting you in the wrong matchup. So we're not lining up best on best and beating you. We're lining up and then moving to best on worst and then just taking it to the house. And so I think Sark does a really good job at that. And, and that's really, really what makes me, I'll say nervous because we're on the TCU podcast. I always forget whether I need to be objective or not, but that's what makes me nervous about Sark is, is the combination of the talent advantage and, and his ability to kind of isolate these matchups that are really, really favorable. Precisely. So yeah. um, Even if it was just like a a third string tight end, like Jaheel Billingsley, he recognized, oh, this guy is a freak of nature and he can help us tip matchup advantages. He knows how to find the best out of personnel, isolate them on someone's weak spot and, uh, and torch them. So very first play, I'll say against Kentucky, um, a fairly decent cover three team, shell type of defense. All right, we're going to try and keep everything in front of us. Well, you know what? They used Billingsley with a little bit of orbit motion on the very first play and they burnt them for an explosive corner route. So um no one saw that coming, especially I wouldn't think Kentucky being a defensive-minded team. So um, just he knows exactly how to get the best out of his personnel with those little type, types of things and little advantages, like you said. Ben. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, Clark, I believe oh, – sorry, Parker, go ahead. No, 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 finish. No, no, no. I, uh, that, yeah, that's, that, that's just something that's so interesting. I'm plugging, I'm, I'm plugging things that Clark has been a part of because you and Deontay went on – uh, Seth's podcast. I guess that's Deontay and Seth's podcast now. Uh, the PFF yes, uh, I, podcast. I, I think our episode was the last episode before he was promoted. Yeah, and he became Seth's full time co-host, so he passed the audition. Yes. Yeah, and so that was um, that was Alabama versus Ohio State um, preview, and just a really really good way because because Clark, you're a little bit more on the offensive side, and Deontay is a little more on the defensive side. Just a really good way to yeah. say like, hey, here's how I think they attack, and there's a couple good segments that. Uh, you know, as we're all in the off season and start for content, that episode holds up to go back and say uh, a, a really good, good episode of, you know, a smart person on offense says, we're going to do this. The smart person on defense says, well, maybe they'll try this and then you can counter punch and a really good back and forth. So uh, make sure you guys check that out. Cause uh, the, the, in addition to being a stats nerd, Clark is also a film nerd. He's, he's the unicorn. He's the Chris Stapps Porzingis of the, uh, uh, of, of online oh, analytics. Um, and it has my pre-national championship game Mac Jones take, and it's it's on there, so you can see what I really think. And I think I stand by what I said. Um, I basically said he was a day three prospect, but he does a lot of things well. But when he's off rhythm, like a lot of people are starting to point out, 
he's not so strong as everybody else. And uh, it's kind of funny because I think I am a little bit more harsh on him, but um, that is set in stone. If you want to go listen to the, what I have to say about Mac Jones before. The <laughs> Clark, as the unicorn, it, it is my great pleasure to, uh, to, to ask you to, to take part in our favorite segment on this podcast. Uh, can you say something nice about Max Duggan? Yes, I can. Um, I think Max J- Duggins is a more than capable spry running quarterback. Oh. I think he's got the gumption. Um, I don't think he's timid, and I, I don't say that lightly. Um, say, for instance, in the SEC world, you see a, a mobile quarterback like Terry Wilson. Well, he was afraid to hit the hole, and because he's afraid to hit the hole, he's a, he's a beat slow, and because he's a beat slow, the defense is able to collapse a little bit quicker, and it's not necessarily a good game. So that takes a whole element away from your um, offense. Um, I really like the what I call the airliner elements that TCU does. So that's empty formation, jet motion, read option. So I love that stuff. Um, SEC doesn't do it too often. I think Moorhead was the last guy to do it. Um, and I think he only did it for like two games. But I know he gashed Auburn with it at least one game. And I loved when he did it. But that is a tactic that I've been in love with for a long, long time. But um, his TC quick was selling, on his TC was selling out in 2021 for the jet suite. Like that is, that is bread and butter. Yeah, that's, Tim, that's Tim Buck, half of the offense. Tim Beck is on staff now. Oh. Like T- Tay Barber is going to run uh, a thousand miles next season, starting on the left side of the field and <laughs> running to the right side of the field for every play. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, Cause I think with his mobility, he will give you so much. Um, I saw one pop pass. I forget what game it was, but it was off that type of motion where um, you're basically just faking that jet and everyone else is running verts and you're just throwing over top those collapsing secondary defenders and uh, getting an easy completion. But um, I, okay. I, I'll, I guess that's all good. I have to say about him. Um, you're already starting fine. better off than, than, than about 95% of guests. So totally. Yeah, this is great. Talk to us so, about, yeah, yeah. Talk to us about Duggan. That's fine. <laughs> he has fine in rhythm, deep distance. So when he's on time, step and throw, it comes down fine. He's kind of like what I call like a bucket drop deep thrower. So it's a high arcer and it has to come down right on the money. And if it's not on the money, it's going to be a contested ball or overthrown or whatever. Um, so that's somewhat concerning. Um, he needs a little bit extra giddy up to get some extra zip on his deep ball. That's a little bit concerning. Um, he hardly has any mid range game. He's a, not a strong um, intermediate passer. And it seemed he only targeted three routes in the three games I watched him. So for the record, guys, I watched him against Texas, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State. And it looked like everything he threw was either an out route, a hitch, or a fade. And that's it. So I have concern with his versatility, you know, his versatility. Um, but again, if that, if that jet motion game can, you know, bring in those secondary defenders and create some easier completions over the middle, maybe that's going to be in the future. But, you know, I have concerns with just, you know, th- this offense needs a little bit more diversification if you ask me in the passing game. So I think you're exactly right. I, I would um, probably, I'm a Max Duggan homer, but I would probably put the onus on a certain former offensive coordinator at TCU that may now be a little bit West and Lubbock. Um, okay. for limiting Max's options. Uh, but I think that is all fair criticism. He has no touch from like 10 to 20 yards. And I think that's totally fair. We, uh, yeah, it just seemed like I whether someone was in his face or whatever, he just did not, was not able to step into his throws and it just everything seemed like to just 
guy in that area of the field. Everything seemed to nose bomb instead of it's as opposed to just arriving on a line and giving his guy a yak opportunity. But that's, I mean, again, small sample size. And you guys would definitely know a lot better than I would. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's all criticism. And it's kind of, you know, you think about he shouldn't have started freshman year and probably if TCU's development cycle goes right, isn't starting last year. Um, and so this is the year to break out. We, we lovingly refer to TCU's route tree as the route trunk around here. Um, so you're right. Like exactly on, on beat. There's, there's only one, you know, it's just, just right there. And so uh, only a couple routes. Um, and he definitely uh, for everything I love about Max Duggan, he's definitely taken fingers off over the middle of the field. Um, that is, that is the, yes. every single ball is coming in so hot. So uh, yeah, I think, okay. So that's, that's Max Duggan. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. Grant, do we have any more questions? Do we want to get to anything else? Parker, that's that's all I got. If you have any weird stats, nerd stuff you want to talk about, I, I'm I'm fine to sit here and listen with microphone on mute. Let y'all just do. My life is weird stat nerd stuff. Okay, Clark. Well, I'll do one more before you go. Then, um, if if okay. an alien came to Earth and said, "I know the basic rules of football, but I don't know any of the college football teams, and I only have time for you to give me one number to convince me who's the best team," what stat are you giving this hypothetical alien? What measure, what metric are you saying? This is how I know this team is the best. That is a hell of a question. Because I'm, as much as I love EPA, I'm kind of going against it recently. It's somewhat fraudulent, but it's a lot better than everything else. It's not a perfect metric, but it's the best thing we have. Um, but again, hmm. Can I give you my answer while you're thinking? It's not W's. <laughs> it's not W's. Wisconsin fans once drank uh, an entire flight out of beer on the way to a bowl game against LSU. Or went to a bowl game. It was just a regular season game against LSU. So I would pick Wisconsin. But that's, that, that would be my stat. <laughs> that's a pretty damn good stat. That's tough to beat. Um, and just leaning on touchdown rate doesn't say it enough because, you know, you have to go to the other side of the ball. Um, I would probably say um, – mm, I would probably say, yeah, touchdown rate over expectation. So you're measuring every opponent that they have played and how much better has their scoring been against that opponent relative to what they have allowed throughout their entire schedule. So it, you can't just judge it like as a base rate because you have to provide context. Um, I don't th- I mean, it's something like DVOA meets EPA. It's something like that. It basically, yeah, EPA over expectation. Is that a thing yet? I don't want to be, do I don't want to be coy here, but uh, yeah, CFB dash graphs 2.0 is coming out real soon, but the measure I use, I'm calling it Eckel after the fullback for a Navy. And I'm looking at, it's, it's basically um, a rate of opportunity, like a, a rate of uh, uh, productive drives. And so it's saying, how often do you get a scoring uh, opportunity or a big play touchdown and saying like, how often are you putting yourself in position? And so what you could do is then say, Hey, this team has a rate or allows a rate of this many, uh, you know, 60% of their drives, they're giving up a quality possession. Then if you only, you know, get a quality possession on 40% of the time, you're going to get penalized. And so kind of that idea, I'm, I'm leaning a little bit more towards drive base, but definitely something that says, Hey, given your starting position, I think I'm starting to care less about, you know, the per play metric and more like the results of the drive overall, um, generally too. So I like that a lot. Um, Clark, where can, where can the people find you? 
You can find me at at SEC underscore StatCat on Twitter and uh, the website, www.secstatcat.com. Um, I'm debating on starting a Patreon TBD on that. Um, I'm kind of pausing things. I've been wanting to do some construction on the site for now, but that's at least where you can find me for now, as opposed to um, some other extensions that are in the works. Awesome. Awesome. Very oh, yeah, cool. That's going to be an awesome Patreon. Good Lord. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine being an SEC fan and not, uh, not following Clark. So make sure you're doing that. Um, all the good stuff he's, he's coming out with Clark. Um, thanks so much for your time, man. We appreciate it. This is a great chat and we'll, uh, definitely be looking forward to, uh, talking to you more as, as the season uh, gets even more imminent upon us. I love it. Had a good time. You guys have a good one. Thanks Clark. All right, Clark has left the building. Um, that overall grant, I think, went pretty well. Um, he is a super smart dude and does possibly more work than anyone I know in college football. Um, yeah, that was impressive, uh, hearing the amount of time that he puts into evaluating every single SEC game. And for every, like, Alabama-Georgia game, there's, like, a Vanderbilt, I don't know, like, Mississippi State game that is just going to be ugly. And right. somehow he finds the time to make, to power through it, and 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 we respect him for that. Yeah, that's um, that is just awesome. He did just send me a message and thank me for coming on the podcast, and said I forgot to say Max Duggan is Nick Mullins from Southern Miss and the uh, 49ers. and I'm I'll glad he didn't it. say it live because I would have lost my mind. Um, he, you're telling me Max Duggan's a pro quarterback? Hey, damn right he is. <laughs> um, okay, speaking of quarterbacks, I have some breaking news. I found out today Lincoln Riley blocked me on Twitter, um, which is very funny to me. Uh, Lincoln Riley blocked me on Twitter because I made fun of his uh, Easter brisket, evidently. Um, but also, is that why? Uh, he may have blocked me for talking about how he's holding a 19-year-old hostage for his own uh, his own benefit. So, uh, Grant, what's so, going on with Chandler Morris? Well, this all comes as the Big 12 passes today, uh, a rule that says, hey, like transfers will be eligible immediately. They won't have to sit out. And that's a four year rule. The problem is that part of that rule, I think, includes like there's some provision where like they still have to get like a pass in their coach or something like that. And Lincoln is not uh, issuing a release for Chandler Morris to be eligible for the TC football team. Uh, I believe someone responded to you or whoever it was, uh, Jamie or Melissa or somebody, and, and suggested, hold on, please, my dog is being a psycho. Um, <laughs> and suggested that that uh, and suggested that maybe that was due to uh, Gary Patterson's tampering, which seemed insane to me. Uh, okay. Yes, the, the upshot so, of it all is that. <laughs> all right, so we're going to go, we're going to go like college football talk radio. I need to put on my Paul Fine. Yeah, go ahead. Go hold ahead. on now, yeah, Paul. Yeah. Uh, one, if Lincoln Riley is going to sit there and say, I'm the law and I get to enforce who, who is and isn't tampering, uh, that's not a good system. That is, uh, that is, that is coaches holding people, uh, to their whims, which is a bad system. If Lincoln Riley is trying to impose a penalty on TCU for perceived tampering, he needs to make an accusation. He needs to get him on it, uh, and do it. No, 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 no. Here's my take. If you win a national championship, you could accuse someone of tampering. Sure. E- even there. That's even my there. Take. Put up. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm fine with that. But I'm just saying, like, if Lincoln Riley, that is all the defense I've heard. Because, okay, if you haven't heard about this, we can talk about this later. I don't want to, you know, rumors or whatever. But, like, there was a cell phone. 
it was given to somebody and it had some numbers on it. I, w- I don't know. Who knows if that's real? We can Who make up say? all sorts Who of could shit. Say? But all that's to say, if, if Lincoln Riley is imposing a penalty on a transfer because of that, that's bad. That is awful. Um, we need it's, neutral it's, rules that apply to everyone. And someone replied to one of my tweets and said, it would be different. I think someone was like, well, would you be okay if Patterson let Max Duggan play at Texas next year? And someone responded and said, well, Duggan is a starter and Chandler is going to be a backup. Those are different. No, they're not different. It doesn't they matter. apply equally to every matter. player, regardless of system. That's what's wrong with the NCAA right now is that it's arbitrary and it's stupid. And things like Lincoln Riley's, fe- Lincoln Riley's feelings get to dictate the future of children, which is just asinine, especially given the fact that Lincoln Riley has hired two coaches from schools in the big 12 and they didn't have to sit out. Um, so yeah, I just think there's, there's a ton of inconsistency here, but the most important thing is the precedent of Lincoln Riley in his mind, whether, whether rightfully or not says, you know what? I probably would let this kid go, but Gary tampered. So I'm going to enforce this extrajudicial penalty. And that is just wrong. That that's wrong. I think. Um, and that's pretty gross, honestly. So that's, that's what I think about Chandler Morris. No, it's completely gross. And, and, and like you said, it doesn't matter if Chandler's going to start. It doesn't matter if Chandler ever plays a snap at TCU. What matters is that he wants to be an eligible football player, and TCU is offering him a spot. It, that's the whole part of this whole movement with the NCAA, to, to open up regulations for players and, and to allow players uh, – I could go deep down a rabbit hole here, but, hell, let's talk basketball for a minute. Chris Beard went from Texas Tech to Texas. Do you think a Texas Tech had the option – they could say, hey, we're going to make Chris Beard sit out a year before he coached at Texas. I, you know, They're, coaches can go whenever they want. It, it's just, it, uh, just, it's just. So, so that alone, I think there's, there's so many layers to this, but like that alone, the free trade, like coaches in the middle of the night can go um, and, and have yeah. no ramifications. And like that, that to me is just so rough. Um, and, and so I just think there needs to be some consistent standards there. Like this is aside from, Grant, I don't even know that I like the idea of like in-conference transfers immediately eligible. Like, I think there's some arguments there to be made, but if we're not going to, if we're not going to enforce that on coaches, I think it's, I think it's debatable. Um, if we're not going to enforce sure. that on coaches, if we're not going to have a consistent standard that works for everybody neutral rules, like I, I don't love that. Um, especially when you think about, this is not employees renegotiating a business deal for higher pay. This is 19 year olds who have, I mean, you were a freshman in college. Did you not have like immense social circles and contexts and stuff to balance and also going to class if they're student athletes, we have to think about that. Um, and so the idea that Lincoln Riley can say, hey, you can't go to a different program um, for any reason that I choose, that, that to me is just, is just bad. First off, I was a giant nerd my freshman year. Um, I played a lot of foosball with my roommates if that um, offers any context. But Shout out to uh, the Rex no, in the I, basement. Oh, no, this is the Milton Daniel, basically, baby. I was honest, Carl. Oh, you. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, you made a really good point about this is not employees, um, you know, uh, trying to negotiate for higher wages, stuff like that, and non-competitive agreements. These are 19-year-old kids. And I agree with you that I, I don't necessarily like the idea, but two things can be true. Something can stink, and something should still be allowed to happen. And I don't necessarily like the idea of conference transfer, event conference transfers being able to play right away, but these are kids transferring colleges and they should be able to do so. Um, I may not like it because it might hurt my school, but whatever, it should still be allowed to happen. And I, I think both things can be true. 
I, I totally agree with that. And it would be hard to have that level of nuance in something as um, competitive as college football. But I mean, yeah. either they're employees and you can dictate that. Uh, it, it's it's honestly, this to me is so similar to, you've seen the, the memes and stuff about like the women's basketball weight room and mm-hmm. the facilities where they were just absolute crap because they were poorly thought out and poorly planned and no one cared about it. Like that's so dumb because the argument to that immediately is like, oh, well, women's basketball brings in way less revenue. We're like, okay, well, is this, is the NCAA a thing that works based on you get as much as you put in? Because then we're starting to talk about, you know, that's an employee. What are we, what are we doing here? Um, and the, and the transfer thing is the same thing. It's just entirely inconsistent. I'm not making a value judgment about paying players right here. I think it's entirely consistent to say that a coach can transfer in conference um, and get paid more money and walk away, no consequences. And a kid can't, especially when the kid can be blocked for whatever reason uh, a coach arbitrarily wants to impose, which is just just so dumb, just so dumb. It's incredibly dumb. Um, Parker, I don't want to drag this episode on too long. I just have one more very important question for you. Hit me. Why do you hate the Goo Goo Dolls? I don't hate the Goo Goo Dolls. It sounds like you hate the Goo Goo Dolls. Don't lo- I just, they're overblown. Um, they're underrated. No, I, I, you, you, I, the, the crowd that I ran with in like the high schoolish area, they were, they were overrated. My, my friends in high school, God love them, were like, the Beatles is the best band ever, and the Goo Goo Dolls is the second best band ever. Well, the Beatles stink, but, but, hey man, if Buddy Black Holly Lynn. doesn't, if Buddy Holly doesn't die in a plane crash, we don't know who the Beatles are. I, I'm listening to that take. You're telling me Black Balloon, Slide, Iris, name, their cover of uh, Give a Little Bit, better than Super Tramp. Okay, we're you're I, this I, podcast I is over. We're, 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 Not tonight. <laughs> I mean existentially ever. Um <laughs> that's fair. But the podcast may be over, but the purple theory newsletter still rolling on. Yeah, it is. It's good to it's good to be back. I we've got I'm not spoiling who the next guest is. Grant, we might just drop the next guest is so freaking good. Um Oh my god. I, I'm I'm talking Grant, we've had we've had Bill Conley, we've had Bud Elliott, we've had Cody Alexander. Th- yep. This guest that's coming on next week is every bit as good, if not, if not bad. Not not to say like our guests are good or bad. I'm just saying right. like this is a big guest. This one's gonna. Be I've awesome. never been so excited for an interview. It is gonna be great. We're gonna do homework. We're gonna prepare for this thing. It's yeah. gonna be crazy. Um, there also might be a secret special episode that's a little quick uh, talking about the draft because I know that's time sensitive, and so we'll give you some more information as that comes out. But. There's a big guest next week. It's going to be, it's going to be great. Um, other than that, make sure you subscribe. At some point this offseason, we'll ramp the newsletter back up. We're just kind of chilling because it's slow, but preseason projections are happening. After the draft, I think we'll get a lot more going there. So um, make sure you subscribe. And again, if you ever have any questions about, you know, Billings, Pause, whatever, I, DM me, no big deal, and we could chat. Um, but other than that, man, good to be back podcasting and looking forward to getting into, getting into the football season for 2021. Yeah, I missed you, buddy. Uh, Max Duggan, excuse me, Max Doggan misses you too. He is currently barking, but um, we should plug our socials as if you don't already follow Parker Fleming at Stats of War on Twitter uh, and don't already follow me at Grant McGallion, spelled just like it sounds with a lot of consonants and vowels in it. Um, other than that, Parker, I, I think I'll see you next week. Oh, yeah, you'll see me next week. And uh, our listeners will hear this tomorrow morning. So cool. Go, Frogs. Go, Frogs. <laughs>